Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And for this episode, we are heading back to the Victorian age for a good old-fashioned ghost story. And not just any old ghost story. This is a ghost story with multiple reliable witnesses who claim to have felt and heard and, yes, even seen a full-bodied apparition in a mansion house which had so many ghosts there that we are told at one point an occupier had to build an extra strong door just to keep out the noise of their party and, yes, paranormal parties in the night. And there is one ghost in particular that we are going to focus on, and that is the so-called Lady in Grey. And this all takes place in the late 19th century in Cardiff, in the capital city of Wales. Now, let's get the background stuff out of the way nice and quickly so we can just crack on with this wonderful ghost story. But this is a long-lost tale I discovered while rummaging around in the archives researching a book called Ghosts of Wales accounts from the Victorian archives a few years ago. And that book is a collection of tales which were published in the 19th century in these dusty old newspapers. And I've done a few episodes now about these these wonderful old Victorian ghost stories. And the last one was a few months ago, episode 36, was about the ghost haunting the romantic lakes in the northern parts of Wales. For this one, we're heading down to the south, down to the capital city, to Cardiff, where this ghost of a lady in grey was said to be lurking. And we know about this lady in grey because a Victorian woman called Gwen very handily recorded her experiences, not only her first-hand experiences of encountering this apparition, but she also put her journalist hat on and interviewed other people to record all of their experiences. And then, best of all, they were published in the press, in the newspapers, and that is where, well, that's where I found them, and that is how we are able to talk about them today. Now, as mentioned, this is a Victorian tale towards the end of the 19th century. These tales were published in October 1893, and they took place in the north of Cardiff in Ton Gwynlais. And before recording this episode, I did a quick little internet search just to just to double check if this was a village or not. And it turns out, and I, I love this description, it turns out it's a suburb, but it has a village-like feel, whoever whoever described it online. So we're heading to the north of Cardiff to a suburb, but a suburb with a village-like feel. And even more specifically, we are going to, to what sounds like quite a well-to-do property called Green Meadow. And what I'd like to do to, to set the scene, and this does feel a bit like the start of an 
Agatha Christie murder mystery or something. But I'd like to set the scene by describing the property to you as Gwen described it in her initial report to the newspaper. Although, before she describes the house, there is a quick disclaimer. And this is quite a popular thing to do in the Victorian times, where people like to stress how unlikely this story might seem in this age of rationality. What are we doing talking about ghost stories? But nevertheless, this one, just this one, is true. And she points out how unlikely it might seem that a ghost, real and genuine, would venture in these cold, prosaic days to haunt within a few miles of practical go-ahead Cardiff. And I, I just love the idea that in the 19th century, the late 19th century, she was questioning why a ghost would choose to haunt somewhere so close to, to cosmopolitan, up-and-coming Cardiff. But to describe the house, she says, you know... And she's very personal with her writing. But you know, like she's talking to you individually, you know the pretty pale green stucco house on the outskirts of the village of Tongwin Lice. Well, as far as Gwen is concerned, it's a village, not a suburb with a village-like feel. But among the verdant pastures, we find a property which probably takes its name from these verdant pastures, she suggests, and that is is Green Meadow. She continues, Can one believe that when the sun has set and twilight shadows deepen into night, other inhabitants than those of Earth steal from their lurking places, wherever that may be, and wander through the rooms where once perchance in robust health and glowing spirits they entertained right royally the distinguished assemblies of their little day. Yet so indeed it is. Which is a wonderfully flowery description. It's almost Dickensian in its language. I think it really does set the scene in the 19th century. And she stresses, can you believe, can you believe ghosts of people who once lived, who once wandered around these stately rooms are now emerging from the shadows to continue doing so after the sun has set both literally and metaphorically i think there but anyway to quote gwen again she informs us that so indeed it is yes these people who once called this wonderful mansion home are still returning today, or certainly in contemporary times to Gwen in the 19th century. And she knows this for a fact, because she has encountered one of them. And the one she has encountered is the lady in the title of this very episode, that is, the Lady in Grey. And she says that down the long passages, a woman glides. A woman? No. The shadowy form of woman, enveloped in a shapeless film of cloudy grey. Again, a wonderful description from Gwen. And I think we can see exactly where this lady in grey gets her name from. She is indeed a, a mass of grey, a shadowy form of grey, which seemingly floats around the mansion. 
And Gwen continues that she sometimes steals around in silence, but occasionally her high heels, and Gwen adds in brackets after that, gives us a little insight into her thoughts on women who wear high heels. She says, This dame belongs to a period long gone by, close brackets, and those high heels sound with a ringing clang and pass close to the owners or the servants of the house. So Gwen is telling us that at times she is so silent you would not know she was there, but at other times she is stomping about the place in those high heels and there is no mistaking the lady in grey. But yet, Gwen has more, yet she remains invisible, conveying only as she goes on her way an indescribable sensation of a, inverted commas, presence, which is felt but not revealed. Well, not yet, anyway. So felt but not revealed. There is a presence, there is an invisible presence in clanking high heels floating around the house. What could it possibly mean? Well, Gwen has some more handy hints for us if we indeed wanted to go looking for this ghost. And she tells us that the best time to catch a glimpse of the ghost is during the witching hours. So we're talking midnight, gone midnight, and that the spirit is known to appear in a large, old-fashioned bedroom which overlooks the drive, which is so situated that it can be entered only through the dressing rooms, one on either side. So we are, this is quite Agatha Christie, isn't it? There are rooms that you can only get into by going through dressing rooms. And she continues that often the doors to these rooms are left ajar. Sometimes they're left open and sometimes they are closed when the family retires at night and are found in the morning in a changed position. So it's not a case of a ghost which just opens or just closes doors. Rather, it'll it'll do something almost to, to let you know that it's been. So if you leave that door open, it is going to close it. If you leave that door closed, it is going to open it. Al- almost like a toddler, isn't it? So some annoying thing which is just going to do things to, to annoy you, to scare you. Or maybe, maybe I am being unkind. Maybe this is its, or, or theirs, we don't know how many are supposed to be doing this, but maybe this is its only way of communicating. Maybe the open and closed doors are its way of, of trying to, to say something. Maybe just to let you know, look, I'm here, I'm here. I, I don't know, I'm just thinking aloud and making things up off the top of my head. So maybe we should stick to the facts. Let's get back to Gwen. And she tells us that this part of the house was known as, bit of a giveaway this one, the Haunted Chamber. And despite that ominous name and all of the rumours swirling round, not everyone was scared by it. In fact, certain visitors would come and ask to be stationed in the haunted chamber in the hopes of of seeing a ghost or having some kind of experience. They would ask to stay in the haunted chamber. And sadly, the lady in grey herself was rarely seen in there. But we are told that she was quite often felt. So again, we're back to this sense of a presence. So if you were brave enough to go and spend the night in the haunted chamber, there is a good chance you would certainly feel some kind of presence. 
and a very slim chance you might even catch a glimpse of this so-called lady in grey. Now, I mentioned at the start that she had gathered some witness accounts, as it were, of these ghosts. And Gwen was there herself as a visitor. She, did, she didn't live there. She would visit this country house. And it was owned by a Mr. and Mrs. Henry Lewis, who I'm assuming were friendly with Gwen. She was in and out of the house all the time. Maybe they were related. Certainly, I don't know much about Gwen herself. But we will be hearing more about them or the lady of the house, certainly, later on, who had her own witness accounts. But we are told in the first one that Mrs. Henry Lewis's mother has often in the night been awakened when occupying this chamber. Now, I know the Victorian times were different to modern day times, but nevertheless, it sounds a little bit harsh to me to put your mother in a chamber which is known as the haunted chamber. Maybe there's some weird mother-in-law thing going on here, I don't know. But nevertheless, Mrs. Lewis's mother was stationed in the haunted chamber. She was often awakened by the alarming sensation of a form she cannot see bending caressingly over her. Now, th th there's a lot to take in there. So she can't see this form, but she can feel it l looking over her and caressing her while while she's asleep. I mean, not, not for long. She, she wakes up when this happens. And even when the presence moves away, she is still conscious that she is not alone in that room. And she knows this because garments rustle, soft sighs are drawn, or doors pushed swiftly to and yet they never bang so we're back to doors being pushed this lady in gray does seem to love pushing and closing doors but not in a, a banging way that's going to wake you up by the sound of it and again we're back to clothing not high heels this time it's just rustling garments and some some soft sighs but nevertheless she is felt and she is heard by the sound of her clothing and the sound of the doors. And an interesting word here for me is caressingly. Now, sadly, again, I can't time travel back to the Victorian times to get more information, but caressingly to me suggests that she is trying to, to comfort her in some way. This, she's not trying to terrify her then. And I think that's something to, to, to bear in mind as we continue with these reports of the lady in grey. Now, the next witness account comes from a violinist and having played a concert in Cardiff the night before, she stayed in the mansion house after. And by all accounts, she was a regular visitor. She was quite familiar with the house. And most importantly of all, as far as we are concerned, she had some experience with all this ghostly stuff that was going on. And far from being scared and put off by it, in fact, she is quite brave and blasé about the whole thing as well. And she was quoted in the press as saying that, I don't mind how long she wanders about the room or even bends over me, but I hope it will never develop into an actual embrace so you know th th there's nothing nothing like setting boundaries with these ghosts is there look bend over as much as you want but you know i've, I've got to draw the line that actually giving me a ghostly hug that th that's crossing the line now mr henry lewis himself the man of the house has often been startled with the footsteps which he remembers hearing 
very distinctly when he was a boy. And another witness, a Miss Vaughan, who uh, we are told for some time occupied Green Meadow during a period in which the owners found it convenient to reside elsewhere. So she was m maybe looking after the place for the Lewises. And she was so distressed by the noises of the unseen inhabitants at night that she had a strong doorway built and placed at the entrance to the haunted portion of the house, which in some measure, deadened their sounds of revelry and mirth. Now, this this is going beyond the normal kind of reaction to hauntings, where you kind of think, you know, did I did I hear it? Was it my imagination? No, she she is going to quite extreme lengths if she's actually building big solid doorways purely to keep the ghosts in or out, whichever way around it is. And nevertheless, all it does is is dampen the sound of their, what, what is described as revelry and mirth. Now, until now, really, that the, these ghosts, or this one ghost in particular, has been described as rustling their garments, as sighing, as stamping with those high heels, maybe opening and closing doors, but without banging them. Revelry and mirth sounds like there's a full-on paranormal party taking place in Green Meadow. But nevertheless, this Miss Vaughan, who was there temporarily, certainly did not like it one little bit at all. And the servants over time have also borne witness to seeing, and I quote, many strange figures. And one in particular is a little man in red. So we're moving on from the lady in grey, a little man in red. And while I appreciate Gwen's honesty here, it's still a bit frustrating. But Gwen tells us that she wants to keep her narrative strictly within bounds of authenticated accounts. So on the one hand, we should commend Gwen for sticking to only publishing accounts that she can verify with first-hand witnesses that she has spoken to. On the other hand, it's frustrating because obviously these servants have got some great stories like a little man in red running around. But because she can't speak to the people who actually saw these ghosts, she did not record them for prosperity. And they are, as, as far as I know, the, these accounts have now been sadly lost to time. But the good news is that the final account we are going to look at is by far the most detailed and we know it's been authenticated because it does come from Mrs. Henry Lewis herself, the lady of the house. And what I'll do, I'll quote directly to give you Miss Henry Lewis's account of the strange affairs which were taking place in Green Meadow in the late 19th century. So now we are reaching the crescendo of this tale. The grand finale is looming and I will hand you over to the lady of the house herself and she tells us that one night a lady who was staying here in Green Meadows and I were about to retire. When recollecting what an excellent housekeeper my guest prided herself on being, I suggested that we should take a peep at my storeroom. So her guest takes pride in her housekeeping and she is going to show off her storeroom, presumably to 
show that she can also look after her home. Maybe she's trying to get one up on her friend. I don't know. I'm reading too much into it again. But they were going to be in for a surprise if they were expecting to find a nice, tidy, spick and span storeroom. Well, that's not what happened. But again, I will hand you back to Mrs. Lewis and she continues that my thoughts were extremely practical. I wondered why my housekeeper had been so careless as to leave the key of the storeroom in the door. And, having pointed out my pots of jam, etc., my quick eye detected an other proof of servants' carelessness. A mere trifle, but still an extravagance. The window sash had snapped. Can you believe it? The window sash had snapped and those lazy servants had just left it there. Oh, the troubles of owning a mansion house. But there's more, but there's more. She tells us that they had recklessly taken a new brush to prop the lentil with. And then she tells us that the reason she is moaning about these things isn't to to shame her staff in public, isn't to have a good old moan in the newspaper, but rather to make it clear that things like ghosts and things that go bump in the night were the last things on her mind at the time. She was more worried about her servants propping things up with brushes than about things jumping out and going boo. And so she decided to sort this brush thing out herself. She stepped forward to see if there was any other object more suitable she could use instead of that brush. There was no point wasting a good brush while they waited for a carpenter to come along and fix it. And then something happened. She tells us that she was a little bit surprised to find her friend who she assumed was on the other side of the room, put her arm around her waist and draw her towards her affectionately. So just to repeat that quickly, it's quite an important part of this story. She was looking for some object to use in place of that brush when her friend placed her arm around her waist and pulled her towards her affectionately. And I think affectionately is a key word, a bit like earlier when we talked about caressing. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let us return to Mrs. Lewis's own words. And she continues that I turned my head naturally towards her to find that what I'd felt I could not see. My friend was indeed facing me, but she was at the other side of the room. So what she's telling us is that, yes, her friend was there. Her friend was looking at her. But from the other side of the room, which means it was impossible for her to put her arm around her waist. And well, unless she had long Mr. Tickle arms or something or (laughs) Mr. Fantastic arms from the Fantastic Four or the elongated man arms or you you get the idea there is no way she could do it unless she had magical arms or something so what had happened once more let us return to mrs lewis and she says drawing myself out of the weird embrace with a moan of terror i alarmed her so much that dreading a fit of hysterics i muttered some broken words about a mouse 
Now, I I hate to keep interrupting Mrs. Lewis, but this is a point which I think really does need explaining now. So she turned around. She saw her friend was miles away. There was no way her friend could have done it. It must have been something supernatural, maybe. But in order to avoid scaring her friend, she quickly made up some rubbish on the spot about it being a mouse. No, I I didn't see a ghost. There's a mouse running about the place. But this backfires because, as it turns out, her friend couldn't care less about ghosts, but she is terrified of mice. And to make matters worse, her friend was a bit freaked out afterwards that maybe she'd carried this mouse in her skirts back upstairs with her afterwards. And in order to calm things down, she had to come clean and she had to tell her friend the truth about what had happened. And after calming down suddenly, her friend said, ghosts, oh, if I had only known how glad I should have been, a ghost is an honoured treasure in a family, a relic of the past to be revered, and you deceived me with the cruel suggestion of a vulgar little mouse. And what a lovely, perfectly Victorian way of looking at things. A ghost is an honoured treasure in a family, a relic of the past to be revered. But the strangest part is yet to come, she continues. I found sometime afterwards that my housekeeper, who of course, knew nothing of my experience, had been so alarmed by the apparition of a woman in grey gliding along just as she fixed the key in the storeroom door that she took to her heels and fled and could not be persuaded to return and lock the door. The final part of the jigsaw there, the final part of the puzzle The housekeeper was not being lazy and tardy. In fact, she had seen with her own eyes this so-called lady in grey, a woman in grey, gliding along, and she had legged it. And so, when the two women went in, that was just after the housekeeper had seen this apparition. And then Mrs Lewis felt that arm around her waist and, well, I'm sure you can put two and two together and work out what was going on here. But there's always a but, but there is more to come because Mrs. Lewis has an epilogue, as it were, an eerie, eerie little epilogue to wrap things up with. Because Gwen asks her if she believes in clairvoyance. Now, a a, a popular theme in the late 19th century and, and something, again, we can dwell on, on on another episode in the future. But Mrs. Henry Lewis does reply with what, what, what is described as a very strange experience relating to clairvoyance. And she tells us that when first Mr. Lewis brought me home to Green Meadow, so presumably when she, she was just married and her new husband brought her to the ancestral home to Green Meadow, I was accompanied by two maids who were devoted to me. And between one, Phoebe, and myself, an affection existed rarely found nowadays between mistress and maid. So she got on really, really well with Phoebe. Now, Phoebe got married and, having settled in a cottage in the village, often came to see me. I was very ill on one occasion 
and she stayed with me until about 10 at night when, knowing I was surrounded by professional care, she left to go home. She knew the lady was in good hands with, with however many doctors and people were there. She left her to it. But only a few minutes afterwards, she was subjected to a terribly severe attack, it is described as. And she says, my life seemed fleeting. And as the nurse approached me, Phoebe, I whispered, Phoebe. Now, she had not known Phoebe had just left. And Phoebe, as it turns out, had just reached home when, as she was about to undress, she turned to her bed and saw Mrs. Lewis lying prostrate on the bed. Phoebe, she heard me whisper, Phoebe, and throwing on her cloak, she rushed back to Green Meadow and burst in upon Mr. Lewis in great excitement, fearing that his wife was dying. Now, clearly she didn't die because she's, she's telling us all these stories much later, but she does finish by saying, don't you think that was very strange indeed? And I agree with Mrs. Lewis. I do think that was very strange indeed. Was it clairvoyance as she believed? What did Phoebe see on her bed? Was it a vision of her, her friend calling for her? Sadly, I have no answers. But what I do know is it is a lovely, eerie way to wrap up this week's episode. And as always, if you have any thoughts on that story, maybe you've stayed in a haunted stately home yourself, in, in Cardiff or anywhere in the world. It's always great to hear from people. So feel free to track me down either via social media or through my website and we can chat about it a little more. And as always, if you have enjoyed this tale, there are many more episodes dedicated to Victorian ghost stories if you'd like to go back and check them out in the archive. And of course, there are a lot more on the way. And if you hit the subscribe button, you will never miss a future episode ever. So thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amgrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best, it's the beautiful, it's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. <laughs>